This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I have Adam Smith uh, as my guest today. Adam is a resident of Skagway, Alaska, so it's southeast Alaska, but it's the northernmost point in southeast Alaska, so it's like a whole different world. What's going on, man? Uh, not much. Yeah, it, it, uh, it most recently took me two days to travel to you in southeast Alaska. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's that, big. That was that was really uh, that was cool to be able to to meet up with you when you were uh, down here for a conference. It's it's so hard to travel in southeast Alaska. You don't get. Uh, you know, down south, you can just travel, drive between states, no big deal. But uh, southeast Alaska or Alaska in general, it's just, it's very cumbersome. Yeah, it's a whole nother animal. I think I spent a total of like almost 40 hours traveling between uh, on the round trip. And I think I spent maybe almost that same amount of time in catch can. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You got, yeah, there was mechanical issues on the plane. And did you also have weather issues? Oh, yeah. Um, well, mechanical. I had a weather issue leaving, and then I had uh, a double mechanical on Alaska Airlines trying to get home. So nice, yeah, pretty pretty fantastic. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember I've been to Skagway twice. Both times were in the winter when I was there for basketball. So growing up in Klawak, we'd travel to the smaller communities because Klawak is so small. We're the smallest classification, so we'd go, you know, to Huna and Angoon and all these places that don't even have Alaska Airlines, and so we would get. <laughs> You know, we're in one of those those float planes, you know, and people, they make their their video content or their hunting content about taking these small planes out there. And, you know, oh, we had a really good bush pilot. And I'm like, you know, those bush pilots get really good by flying in the winter. So, like, it's a, it's a piece of cake during the summer. I can't imagine the pressure when they got six high school basketball kids on the plane, right? They're not making, they're not making dark humor jokes. They're like, all right, here we go to Huna. Buckle up. <laughs> yeah it's uh it's the the kids that grow up in the southeast communities um they've got a different slice of life as far as the the traveling and the commitments that uh that's that sports and extracurriculars are it's a totally different ball game yeah for sure growing up in kansas you had similar in that i'm sure a very outdoor oriented growing up and then also the value of sports particularly football um, so are there some similarities outside of like weather and, and ocean and things like that? <laughs> um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a very small community. Um, I, I had grandparents that had a farm about an hour from us and that was, uh, kind of my exposure to the, the slower side of life. Um, and that kind of is what always appealed to me. And then, um, to kind of sidebar on your question, uh, it, it kind of is why I ended up where I did. Um, but as far as similarities between, you know, how big, you know, sports are big everywhere. There's just a different emphasis and a different competition level, but, um, definitely the, 
just the, I guess the way to put it is the culture of sports in Southeast. It's different. Um, each community, uh, it, you know, it means a different level of importance. It seems like, um, and like here in Skagway, it's, it's and like most Southeast communities, it's basketball. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I'd say that the the passion and the and the culture is the same, but uh, it's just that I think that it's very different levels of competition. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's as far as that goes, like the the small communities, and you know, like we hate you on the court, but we'll still take care of you and feed you after the game. Like yeah. I don't don't think you see that down south like you do here. No, <laughs> and that was that was one of the big things when we would travel to some of the larger communities we get housed out. So when I went to Juno for cross country, I'd be staying in the house of, you know, some, some other athletes. Cause they knew that like, you just put your house up. If you have kids who are in high school, you allow other kids from other high schools to stay at your house because you will eventually be on another trip. And so it's a crazy thing that when I told my friends down South, they're like, that, that, that doesn't even make sense. I said, well, it has to, you know, you go to these places that you know, it's, you can't afford to put a high school basketball team or a cross country team or whatever team up in a hotel because you've already paid, you know, $10,000 or whatever. Like the operating budget for one sport here is usually what the whole athletic department is at a down South high school for travel. So you can't afford the hotels. And so when we went to small communities, we would stay, uh, like we've stayed in the, in a classroom in Skagway when we were there for a tournament and then for some games, um, and then when we came to, to Ketchikan or Juno or Sitka, some of these big communities, we would stay, uh, get housed out of people's houses. And so you and a buddy would be staying at, you know, the guy who, who you guarded, uh, house that night or someone that you were racing against the next day. So it was pretty wild. But yeah, like you said, it's your rivalry on the court or on the, the racetrack or on the mat or whatever. But, you know, there's, there's still that bond that you make with people who, whose house you've stayed at and whose parents cooked you dinner. Yeah. And I think to build on that, there's like, uh, the kids goes through a lot. Like you think about, okay, they're traveling, they're on a ferry, they're not sleeping in their own bed. They're, they're packing their bed and making it each day. So those kids can go to class. (laughs) There's a, yeah, there's a lot, um, that goes into traveling and playing sports in Southeast. I coached wrestling a fair bit here, uh, with the middle school and it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Those kids go through a lot. Yeah, it's it's fun. It builds a, a resilience that you can't build other ways. The kids it's, have an, it's life. <laughs> yeah, they have an opportunity to grow and be responsible because you're in those public areas. And a lot of times, as you are faring to these other small communities, you don't have cell phone or service. So there, there's like a little. You know when someone picks up a bar of service because everybody else all of a sudden is getting on their phones, and then it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then you leave service again, and everyone's just back to hanging out, talking, and whatnot. And then summer jobs, you know, you got, you're, you're guiding kayak tours or you're doing, you're dealing with, with tourists. It's not a, a typical down South type job. So you get a, a lot of responsibility and you got a lot of dealing with people. So it's a, a very unique place to grow up, but there's a lot of skills that you learn by being a kid up here. Yeah. hundred percent. It's uh, I think it's, and it's a great, I think it's a great place to raise a family. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I leave the keys in my ignition 24, seven, yeah. three, six, and five. So you can't, <laughs> There's not a lot of places you can do that anymore. Yeah, it's true. Um, Well, let's, uh, that was a a seven and a half minute started in the weeds. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's talk about mountain goats because you are, you are mountain goat. Um, do you ever use the word (laughs) expert? Yeah, aficionado. Do do you ever call yourself an expert in anything? 
No, no. I think I think if you're a self-proclaimed expert, uh, you're pretty ignorant because yeah. there's always something else to learn, right? Yeah, yeah. It makes me uncomfortable. I know some people are experts, but if they call themselves that, I'm like, ah, dang it. Yeah. So no, you are no. you are an experienced <laughs> mountain goat hunter, uh, and you are also the Southeast Alaska Regional Representative for the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. Yeah. Yep. And how, uh, how does that happen? Um. Well, so, gosh, you have to go back uh, years uh, to when they were starting to kind of get their feet off the ground. And um, I'd reached out and was like, hey, you know, like, I think we could use a a fair amount of education here in Southeast. Um, And at that time, it was, you know, um, the guys running it weren't really sure what direction things were going to go. And at that point, it must have been in 15 or 16. Um, and I was like, well, you know, stay in touch. And as things kind of evolved and the Goat Alliance has kind of evolved into what it is, um, they brought forward this regional rep thing. And, of course, I was like, yeah, throw money in the hat. Absolutely. That's anything I can do to help spread education and awareness of, um, you know, what's going on with goats in and around me because, I mean, I'm obsessed with with mountain goats and hunting them and and making sure that they're still on the mountain and uh so yeah i just kind of was like all, all about it whatever i can do you know let me know and it's not you know it's not a whole lot it's the the regional rep thing here uh it's just more or less being in tune with with what's going on and um the local issues you know there's how many different units are there here in southeast four um and it's like I'm I'm still like tip of the iceberg trying to, to grasp what's going on in Sitka and in Ketchikan and and, and the, the different issues with you know the different herds and, and what hunters are wanting to see change and uh, and so forth. But um, yeah, I think for me it was just you know how can I how can I help? How yeah. can I be a part of something you know and and do what I can for the resource? I guess. So there's being part of things. Anybody can pay their 35 bucks or whatever and be part of some sort of organization or council or something like that. But you have, like, as a representative, like, that's one level up. And then also, um, talk to me about the proposal that you have. Because Mountain Goat is one of those iconic hunts. Um, I think people are more, like, doll sheep now in Alaska and, and probably like in a, a, a tundra caribou. But Mountain Goat is definitely one of the one of the hunts that people want to do. Uh, but it's kind of an, you can disproportionately impact the population. Um, it only takes a couple winners or, you know, some predators or shooting of a couple nannies and things can get uh, a little bit hairy. Uh, Kodiak has an excellent population. And so they have regulations that are much more liberal than, than down here in Southeast Alaska. So talk a little bit about your proposal and, and why you uh, drew it up. Yeah. So as a precursor, I've got to, I got to put it out there that this is, uh, this is my stance. It doesn't represent exactly what the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance's stance is on it. Um, they, they'll have a comment on it for sure, but, um, this is, this was brought forward personally. And then, um, most recently, uh, the local advisory committee that I'm a part of here that represents the local surrounding area and reports to the Alaska board of game, um, chose to take this proposal of mine and uh, slap their name on it and support it and bring it forward. So that's super cool. Um, So the proposal is basically 
I'm going to Tarantino it and kind of tell all of the reasons why it's important and then I'll get to it. But so in the, in the unit one D specifically, which is the Skagway and Haynes area, there are um, subunits and each subunit is uh, it's made up of a certain geographical area, whether it's a glacier and a big drainage or the ocean on one side or the Canadian U S border um, whatever it is that makes up that subunit, there are certain boundaries that the research and regional biologists have agreed on that, okay, like this is predominantly a herd of goats here, and this is a, a subset herd of goats here, and so on and so forth. And so you've got these different areas, and the biologists will go and they'll survey those areas and they'll get their counts. And then based on those counts, they have a formula that gives them what the allowable take of that resource is for hunters on that given year. And based off of that, they created a point system. And a point system is any male harvested goat, Billy, is worth one point, and any female, Nanny, is worth two points. And so you've got these areas, and they have point allocations. And so, like, I think one of the largest ones is maybe 12 or 13, but I think there's, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I should, but I believe there's three uh units three subunits just in 1d alone that have been closed due to unsteady population numbers and so based on that um, i kind of looked and dove into the regulations and what was going on in the rest of the state like you mentioned kodiak's got a really good healthy population of goats and, and they're actually now requiring on the south side there's a registration hunt on the south side of kodiak island uh, where hunters are allowed to take two goats, but now they're required. One of those goats has to be a nanny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which is super cool, super great. Uh, people don't know about that population of goats. They were transplanted, I believe in the seventies. You'd have to quote, uh, you can't quote me on that. You'd have to look it up. But, uh, so I saw that reg and I was like, okay, that's cool. There's a reason for that. Chatted with that biologist. Super cool. Then you've got the Kenai peninsula that has uh, regulation in place, then this is the regulation that I kind of mirrored in my proposal is if you hunt mountain goats in that unit and you harvest a female, you are immediately off the board. You cannot hunt in that unit for four years. So you shoot a nanny, you can't hunt in that unit for four years. It's like they don't, they're not taking your animal from you or anything. They're just saying, okay, like, do better next time. You can't hunt goats here for four years. And um, there are plenty of other tags around the state that are one every four regulatory years anyway. So this is yeah. like an unprecedented thing. No, no. And it's uh, like like all coastal brown bears, are, as far as I know, all of those are like one in every four. <clears throat> and I think that has to do with, um, you know, trying to keep, I don't know, that's, all, that's a whole Yeah, hold, hold different thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically... Um, I'm, we don't have that here. Um, our current regulations read one, your harvest limit is one goat, which cannot be a female accompanied with a kid. So you can shoot a nanny if there's not a kid around, um, which, you know, there's, that gets into a whole biological thing talking about, you know, barren nannies and goats that get really old and, um, you know, no longer have kids or for whatever the reason is that they don't have kids as they get older. Um, but my whole thing was like, okay, we've got a fragile population of goats, obviously, because we have some very low numbered subunits um, for the, the yearly point allocation. And it's like, well, why aren't we doing something more about it? Um, 
you know, like we don't allow the harvest of use of doll sheep anywhere in the state. Well, there may be actually be one, but for the most part, right? Like we don't allow harvest of use for the most part overall in the state. There's not a lot of cow moose tags, right? So anywhere there's fragile populations of other ungulates, like we're doing a good job of not harvesting females. So for my stance, and I try to use logic and common sense, but it's like, we can control this one thing. We can't control weather. We can't control the predation of the various predators that they encounter. Um, but we can control our harvest. So why not? Mm-hmm. Um, After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. So basically my proposal is just to see the same thing that's going on the, on the Kenai happen here in Southeast and in one D specific in particular, but um, you know, it's, it's something that, like I said, I haven't dove down the rabbit hole to really talk to enough locals in these other units to see if, if this is something that would be better blanketed for all of Southeast and maybe, you know, anywhere that we don't need to be harvesting nannies, it should be a thing too. But, um, essentially the penalty is just you and, and we're starting low and it's just one year you can't hunt goats in the next year in this unit. So you shoot a nanny in one D you're done for a year. Yeah. I think, um, uh, two things actually i gotta make sure i get them both in one is for the draw hunts if people if it's one of those almost a once in a lifetime draw because the 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 likelihood of drawing it again is so low if people just shoot an annie there then you don't care you might not care quite as much because the population is really not going to affect you because you did your one hunt you got your nanny and then yeah. that's it um so I would wonder about the difference in the draw hunts, um, you know, what impact that would have. I don't think people are just going to go up there and shoot the first thing they, they draw because they want to make the most out of the hunt, you know, and they're, they're going up there and they're, they're looking for a quality. And some of these areas have world-class genetics, and so they're looking for a, for a good one. Um, so I'm not really sure how to – what would happen with there. Um, but any time that it's okay to shoot a female – 
there has to be a good reason for it. You know, there are areas where there's a lot of population or, you know, you can take a doe because the, the, uh, doe deer, because the population is so healthy. There's some places down South where, yeah, based on our numbers and based on the amount of habitat that's there, you can, you know, you could take out a, a, um, a doe mule deer, uh, or doe antelope up North in that 40 mile herd. A couple of years ago, there was too many animals for the habitat. And so you were allowed to shoot uh, cow. So like that, Totally makes sense, um, given those populations, which are massive. But the the exponential decline that can potentially happen if you shoot nanny goats is just it's it's worrisome. Yeah, and and it, it for me it just goes into the why not have some science based management? Like if if we are seeing a decline or a steady a steady number population of goats, but we're not growing and we're still harvesting females every year, like, why don't we do something about that? You know? So, um, and I think to kind of talk about, you know, the guided hunters or the one and doneers, um, I, I know like, and I know every area in the state is going to be different. Right. But predominantly in Southeast, you've got the guided non-resident and you've got the locals. Um, and I haven't talked to every guide in Southeast. Obviously, yeah. I hit the ones I hit the ones close to me, right? Yeah. And um, those guys are all concerned about the units getting shut down too. So the last thing they want to do is go right. harvest. Exactly. Animals. So, so like, really, the the guides are 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 going to be more for this than really a lot of the locals. And, and what I've gotten in, in feedback so far is kind of it's kind of been sixty forty in support uh, with locals and an overwhelming support, um, from the guides. Um, so I, I don't think it's, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting because it's hard to, it's hard to guess what's going to happen when the board mm-hmm. game starts talking. But, yeah. um, it's an interesting thing uh, too, because unlike the other, uh, species when like with caribou, you're looking at antlers and this, like the, uh, the cows have, have antlers, but every other species essentially is, it has horns or it doesn't. So it's so much easier to tell if there's a nanny that happens to be by himself, or there's a group of nannies that are the same age. You're like, well, is that, is that a nanny or is that a small Billy? And if you don't necessarily have frame of reference, well, that one looks a little bit different than that one. So is it uh, two nannies and a Billy, or is it actually just three nannies? One that's a little bit older or younger. And that, that can be a really difficult decision to make. Um, and shoot, that's, I was really happy that the billy that I took was by itself, so it was pretty obvious. And then we we saw it pee. I was like, "All right, great. This is we're good to go on this one." But man, there, there was a group that was across the way, and there were there were kids there. So all right, that made the decision pretty easy. But you know, if you see two or three together, you know which one is which. And then they do the little the little shell game. So they come behind the bush and they reemerge, <laughs> and it was you know it was it was nanny nanny Billy, but you know maybe it's Billy nanny nanny now. Who knows, man? That's just a tough decision but i think i like the the good faith sort of hey you're, you're okay if you get one you just can't hunt again for four years they're not going to take it there's no fine there's no whatever harvest it it happened you know congratulations on the kill but you know we need to make sure that we manage the species better yeah well and from my perspective it's like yeah you know you shot a goat like it doesn't matter you know, if it's a billy or a nanny, like anybody that's harvested a goat knows that it's, it's special. It's not yeah. an easy thing to do. Um, but it's also in the, in the same breath, it's like, Hey, do better next time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, yeah, I, 
I think there's a there's a lot uh, left to be desired as far as what's available for education uh, on identifying mountain goats. The Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance has done a very good job um, and are continuing to um, do a good job on education. And uh, anybody that's not familiar with them should check out their Instagram page. They do like almost a daily quiz um, of, okay, you know, here's, here's this image and what do you think it is? And it's kind of, um, you know, you can get sucked into social media doing it, but it's, it's a great tool. And uh, their website has some great videos. Um, so I kind of had to, got to kind of plug that um, for people that aren't aware. Um, what a great valuable resource the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance is um, for that kinds of stuff and those tools. But um, I think ultimately the issue, um, the overwhelming issue isn't that people are, are going out there trying to shoot nannies. It's just, it's ignorance. I think people don't know. They're not educated. They, they want to go goat hunting and they get up there and, you know, maybe they get overwhelmed. Maybe they don't care. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, I think anything we can do is, is worth its salt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit when you were down here and kind of switch gears a little, because I think we covered the goat thing pretty good. Unless there's anything you want to add. No, no, mm, okay. I, uh, I, I would urge um, anybody that feels strongly in my opinion <laughs> on my side, if you have other opinions, I don't care. But um, <laughs> if you want to voice your opinion and let your comments be heard, um, I'll throw up a link on my uh, Instagram profile for people to go where they can comment directly to the, the board of the game. Um, and any, any supporting comments are always beneficial. Mm-hmm. So now moving on to the social media aspect, social media, it's, it's a fascinating thing. It's a great thing. It's such a great tool. It connects you to so many great people. Um, you can market entrepreneur on it, become educated, but there's also that that downside as an Alaskan mountain goat hunter, you could be posting daily of the same mountain goat over and over and over. And you could throw back Wednesday and throw back Thursday and you could just really blow up and get hundreds of thousands of user or of followers potentially. What What is your approach on responsible use of social media? So it doesn't I don't know, just go to that dark side. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think everything can be done at nauseum and it could be done with taste. Um, I, uh, I think, uh, I don't know. I think as, as hunters, as outdoorsmen, uh, I think that you've got to be careful with the resource that you're posting. Um, I, I mean, how many, I, I'm, I, I get on social media and go and try and poach spots. If you're dumb enough to post a body of water behind you or, you know, the wrong long drainage that gives away where you were at, like it's, you know, it's, it's like we were talking about when I was down there, we were talking about how, um, different species of animals, you know, they, they're, there's kind of like, you could call them honey holes, but some, sometimes you run into places where you don't see animals for days and all of a sudden there's a pocket. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for guys that have nothing to do in the winter time and live in Alaska where it's dark and it's cold, like it's a great time to get on social media and, and poach spots. <laughs> yeah. It's a terrible thing to do, but it happens every, I mean, it, it, it's happening and, and if you post the wrong picture, you're liable to have a few more buddies at that spot next year. Yeah. And um, it's kind of one of those like, 
get with them, join them or be left behind things. And, and it's, and I think that's the darker side. I think it's, it's, it's fantastic for sharing, um, experiences. I think that, um, the networking that can be done is incredible. That's how I met you. Um, I've, I've made some really good friends on through, through social media, which, uh, it's, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we would have been, if we had admitted to that, it would, uh, if we'd admitted to that, it, you know, people look at you like you met somebody on the internet. Yeah. It's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's like, Oh, well, I've been following him for long enough. I know he's not too much of a creeper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, such an interesting thing. I go back and forth on some stuff and it seems like it varies a little bit between species too. I, I can justify certain posts because if a, if a local knows it, the local knows it. No one from anywhere else is going to be like, Oh dude, I know that body of water. So if the yep. person knows about it, they probably already know it's a good hunting spot. So as long as you're not posting coordinates or like in your YouTube post saying it's on this island or here, because then they can figure it out from there. But if it takes a lot of work for certain people to be able to figure it out, and the people who already have figured it out probably know where it is anyway, so it's not really that big of a deal. But then yep. you look at certain hunts that are on the radar, uh, like the Hall Road hunt up north. I was astonished at how many people were on the side of the road. And I know it gets talked about. And I, I was on YouTube looking for resources, looking for any bits of information that helped me be more effective. So in that regard, I liked that there was content out there because it was going to help me make the most out of this experience. And I was thankful. Right. But then you go it's up a there. double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah. Then you go up there and all of a sudden, I mean, you got some dude from Kansas, not no relation, I'm sure, to, uh, to you. He was, he was talking to my buddy and I about how it was fogging. So... He and his buddies were sitting around camp uh, drinking Fireball in the morning, and then it was like two in the afternoon at this point. I'm like, dude, are you are you hungover? Are you drunk still? Like, what are you doing? And he's walking around with a 10 millimeter on his chest in the holster. I'm thinking, we're we're above the Arctic Circle here, and we're talking to some dude from Kansas who's got a 10 mm on his on his on his chest. I don't know how he's shooting Fireball in the morning. Like, what what is going on here? So in that regard, it's like uh, social media is the worst thing. It's ruining everything. But I don't know. Like we were probably more effective because of the stuff that we sought out and the people we talked to. So it's such a, I don't know, man. It's a convoluted topic, right? Because you can go down, you can go down a rabbit hole either way. Like as far as uh, draw hunts go, I, I absolutely share everything from those because if you're going to draw if you're going to be one and two alaskans that draw sheep tag and you draw that tag and you figure out that i had it call me i'll yeah. tell you where i found them i'll tell you how to get to them i'll yeah like i and i think that social media is great for that mm -hmm. um as far as like looking up you know who had this tag last year I do this tag i can i can if a guy is smart is resourceful enough he can go in and see you know who had those tags or who puts in for those tags and and you really can gain a lot of information that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's super valuable and a, and a great tool in that regard, for sure. Yeah. What about from the entrepreneurial thing? You've started this uh, Smith's Own Customs, and you're making some awesome bags. You made me a uh, 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 kill kit bag and then one I'm going to use for all my food. The best way, it's it's free marketing, man, to be on uh, on social media there. So all you got to do is make three meaningful posts a day about your uh, your Smith's own customs, and you'll have thousands of followers. That's what it sounds like. It's 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 a lot of work. Uh. <laughs> um, I I'm just I'm just hitting the tip of the iceberg there. But um, yeah, that whole sewing thing, it's uh, 
it started out just kind of as necessity. I wanted some stuff and it wasn't exactly made the way I wanted. So like, Oh, I'm just going to start sewing. Mother-in-law gave me a sewing machine. I was like, go, go for it. And, uh, it's just kind of snowballed from there. And, um, like I said, tip of the iceberg for me, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, um, the whole entrepreneurial thing via social media. But what, what I found is, uh, there's an overwhelming amount of support from guys that, um, you know, the guys like us that speak the same language. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, you need something made. You want something, you want me to add a zipper to this or you blew out. Like I got a buddy that's sending me a sleeping bag and he wants some synthetic, um, insulation added to the backside of it. Um, stuff like that. And so it's like, yeah, man, like it's, it's super cool. It's fun. Uh, keeps me busy in the dark times of winter when uh, there's not a lot going on and the goats are the goats are down in the trees and season's closed and there's nothing to go after but shoot them with the camera through the spotting scope so um yeah like i said it's a whole new world to me being a a quote-unquote business owner but really like uh, i'm doing it for fun (laughs) yeah i think that's I think that's cool, um, especially with the, with the way the marketing goes. It seems like there's a lot of companies on there that are really into the engagement, and it just seems like a desperate struggle for eyes. And, yep. like, I don't – It's the, the more that I market myself online by sharing articles and whatnot, the more, you know, clicks and views and everything. But I don't feel like making – a two TikToks a day or, you know, I'll, I'll usually kind of have a story going or something like that as a way, Hey, this is kind of what's going on in Southeast Alaska. But man, I don't, I don't want to try to be an influencer. I, I did a couple like video clips from podcast and post those. I thought, man, do I really want to try to do the, the whole clip thing? Do I want to like, or, you know, recycle what I heard someone else say and try to pawn it off as me being some sort of insightful, whatever person, <laughs> like, ah, I don't, I don't feel like doing that. And maybe that, that means I'm, I was, I wasn't destined to be an entrepreneur. Or I'm only, I'm only going half speed or partial send or whatever, but man, there's a lot of stuff about marketing on social media. I just don't feel like doing. Yeah. I, you got to drink the poison, I think. And it's like, you're, I think what you're doing is tasteful. I think uh, <laughs> you you can definitely fall on the wrong side of that. But at the same time, like, if you're making money doing it, you know, like, I got to commend the people that are doing it. It's just, it's not for me, yeah. I guess. Yeah, there's some people who have uh, big followings and just the way they carry themselves is very, very admirable. It seems like they're never tempted by that stuff. Um, the yeah. patient, the patience that Tyler Freel has when he's commenting <laughs> back to people who are, you know, he writes, if he even, if he even types six point, people are automatic already on him about whatever, anything. <laughs> and, you know, people who probably haven't even been to Alaska are just telling him how to sheep hunt or how to shoot or anything like that. And yet he just, he goes through, you know, and he'll, he'll make some comments of about the article, uh, that he wrote for outdoor life. It's. Yeah, uh, it's madness. But he's definitely not one of those self-promoting type guys. He's 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 pretty funny. He's a, he's a confident dude. But you listen to his podcast, and he like he's not one of those. I want to be an influencer. I want to be a name in the industry. Like he just does his thing, does it well, and he gets the attention that way, which is very admirable. Yeah, yeah. I've talked to Tyler on a few occasions. I like that guy. Um, I think I think there's there's validity in uh, just doing your thing, and uh, you know, like 
there's no matter how good you are or, or how great you are at what you do, like somebody's going to think you're doing it wrong. So yeah. screw them. Bounce hand. <laughs> I'm going to mind my business. And yeah, I think, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Um, some of the people with the yeah. best reputations for hunting that I've like grown up knowing and whatnot and still live around here. Like they didn't even have social media. Exactly. Yeah. Like this person, if there was a, we had to have one person kill a, an awesome blacktail on any day, you know, to beat China or whatever, then like they're people that are not influencers that I would choose as that. I'd even choose some of my former students, but yeah, if, if the world depends on it, you, I pick you, you're going to get the deer to save the world. That makes no sense at all. Um, <laughs> I don't know what would have happened well, where that would be the case, but yeah, it's, that's refreshing too that you don't have to sell out you don't have to do all that sort of stuff you can just do your thing and probably get a lot more enjoyment and less stress out of it but if you're an entrepreneur you're something like that then you know you have to market so yeah right it's like this well it's like this instant gratification world that we're living in and it's like uh i don't know to to me i i feel like um I think we talked about it when I was down there being a, a silent giant. Like if you just quietly do your thing and you know, you don't have to post everything you kill. And if you just quietly live your life and you don't have to get gratification or validation from people around you, like I think maybe you're onto something bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is your, um, what does your next year look like? Uh, you have what, a couple more hunts this year and then what does next year look like? Um, I don't know. I've, uh, I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and kill a goat here in the next month uh, as the rut starts to get going and they start to drop down. But I've been chasing goats here in the trees and the alders of southeast for a few years with my bow, and I've been eluded. So I'm going to bang my head against the wall again, I guess. And then uh, next year, I'm expecting uh, another son in January. Yes. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, while I'm doing some midnight feedings in February, hopefully I draw some tags and can start planning. But uh, until then, um, I don't know. I'm gonna hunt a white critter. It's I'm gonna hunt sheep or goats, whatever. What, which either of the two it is, I don't know yet. But I can promise you, I'll be hunting sheep or goats in August or September, and uh, I'll be baiting bears in the spring. Nice. So, aside from that, we'll see what happens. Do you uh, do any blacktail get down uh, here for any of that, or do you go uh, caribou up north, or? You know, um, I've, I've done Kodiak a few times doing the, the goat and deer thing. Um, I, you know, it's every year I've got a group of buddies that they're actually on Admiralty Island right now, blacktail nice. hunting. It's like, uh, it's just never good timing. And, uh, uh, you know, between family vacations and work leave, if I'm going to spend leave, I want to spend it chasing a white critter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's where my, my passion is right now. Anyways, I've, I'm going to chase goats and sheep as long as my body will let me and then i'll start doing the, a little bit of the easier less i say less intense but like you could you can hurt yourself a lot worse on a blacktail hunt sometimes than you can yeah. on a goat hunt so yeah. yeah that's kind of an interesting dynamic i think that that social media and the proliferation of youtube and all these other shows has done is it's the happiness I think people felt when they were specializing on one hunt and that was their thing, they just mule deer hunted and they were expert mule deer hunters and they didn't compare their hunting resume to the resumes of people who got mule deers in four different states and elk in three different states, caribou in Alaska, blacktail in Southeast Alaska, Ibex. I mean, all these, these different things, 
Um, I wonder if they were eh, just happier or more content or if the modern hunter who has all these opportunities to go do these different experiences is is happier or is it just more for us to compare ourselves against or to? I think it gets back to the whole, uh, I don't know if it's instant gratification, but it's like the dangers of social media and comparing what you did this year to what I did this year. It's like, yeah, yeah. but... How many times were you in the field? Like you, pr- yeah, I bet your, your days in the field. And I, I guess for me at the end of the day, like I, I would just like to spend more time outside. Like yeah. I, I don't, I don't miss. Yeah. I, I, and maybe that's, that's it. Like if you're hunting more species a year, you're probably spending more time outside. And that, that's really like at the end of the day, what it's about. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think for me, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about what my real reason is for like, why is it always goats and sheep? And it's, I think it's a, just a love for the alpine. If I can mm-hmm. be above tree line, like I think that's where that's where I want to be. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The black-tailed deer in the alpine, it's just the whole experience. You have those long days. It's just so nice and lush up there. And then you, yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And the mountain goat was the same thing. And down here we have come that, that terrain that's, that's good for either. So on the same ridge, not, they don't necessarily mingle much, but, uh, on the same mountain range or in the same area, you can have uh, deer and you can have mountain goat and you just, it's so awesome to be up there. It's so great to spend that time up there. It, it takes work to get up there. So you feel great about that. And then just spending those long, warm days. And even if it is, chili um that's man it's, yeah you can't you, you can't beat that but you know people yeah. say the same thing about when you're uh, up on a ridge somewhere in wyoming and you know you're hearing elk bugle like it doesn't really doesn't really matter what your choice is there's no one thing that's better than something else you know and people are like yeah i, I shoot mule deer with my rifle like, i don't have to complicate it with a bow and other times oh, that bow man that's that's the thing it's Whatever you want to do, that's fine. Just be happy with it and, and crush it. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, what else you got, man? I don't. I don't have a lot to add. Yeah, got to get. Yeah. Uh, simple man, a few words. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> got to uh, get home and uh, take care of business. Yeah, we got to go yeah, do man. some cleaning down at the house. So, uh, thanks for being on here. Appreciate uh, you and uh, taking some time out of your Wednesday. Where could people? find you follow you learn more about the the sewing the mountain goats and all that um yeah you can uh you find me on instagram uh at as.ks.ak or uh and then you can you can find my at smithstone customs page there i've got two pages but i'm uh, i'm active on both um and yeah feel free to reach out dms whatever um i'm pretty available and i'm a pretty nice guy (laughs) (laughs) nice Cool, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, man. We'll see you. Take care.